Welcome to Flipped, the Irish animation podcast. Hi, I'm Megan. Hi, I'm Aidan. Welcome to the second episode of Flipped uh, with Fergal Riley. I just want to say thank you so much for all the support everybody has shown uh, to the podcast, people retweeting and saying that they will put them up on their websites and just promoting us on Facebook. It's been absolutely amazing and we really, really appreciate it. Yeah, we really appreciate it. It's That's why we're doing it, so people can hear it. So um, yeah, th- thanks for all the support. This interview is with Fergal Riley who uh, is Irish, he grew up in Louth, and he moved to the States after going to Dunleary College. And he's worked for Warner Brothers and Disney, and currently is a storyboard artist um, and director at Sony Pictures. Fergal Riley was here for ESACON, which is uh, organised by Ballyfermot College, in particular Gareth Lee. Um, and he was also here for the Jameson Dublin Film Festival, and uh, Aidan was able to pick up and chat to him there. Yeah, so we have to do a special thanks to all the sponsors of uh, ESACON and, and the festival with the Irish Film Board, Enterprise Ireland, Animation Ireland, uh, and of course, uh, Ballyferma College of Further Education. And again, a special thanks to Gareth Lee for um, facilitating this interview. It was really fantastic um, for him to do that and uh, to organise ESACON and everything that he does. So just to state that these are Fergal's own opinions and not the opinions of Sony. And this was recorded in the cafe uh, of the Lighthouse Cinema in Dublin. So there is a bit of background noise. So if you're allergic to background noise... <laughs> Charming some... background buzz. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, but it's worth. He's, it's brilliant what he's saying. So it's worth, it's worth listening to, I think. <laughs> Go and nerd out and enjoy. Uh, I'm here in the Lighthouse Cinema with uh, Fergal Riley. Thanks for doing this, Fergal. We appreciate it. You're very welcome. Thank you. Um, so I think uh, last night you did a really inspiring talk, and one of the opening uh, slides of that talk was uh, your subtitle for the talk was "How a Farmer Sunflarty Came to uh, <laughs> Become a Storyboard Artist and Director for Hollywood." You were paying attention to that. I didn't so, think anyone got a laugh out of that. that was good. <laughs> but I think so. Let's tell that story. Uh, All right. How's, how does that sound? So you started up. You mentioned something actually last night when you were talking about how uh, when you were young, your mum asked you asked an artist to train you. My aunt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My aunt, like, because I was always drawn. My mom was like, you know, she was a legal secretary, and she would bring home these. This was back in the early 1970s. She'd bring home these reams and reams of typing, legal, legal, legal typing paper, that was. That, that were old documents that, that were they had to throw out but I would flip over she would bring this reams of this paper home so I had endless supplies of drawing paper so she would I would just flip them over and draw on the back with biro you know or like pencil or whatever I could I actually drew a lot with like pen you know she would bring home this, my mom would bring home this paper and I would just turn it over and like spend hours just drawing stuff you know like I would draw stuff that I'd see on TV or I would draw you know like characters that I would make up and it was kind of the start of it you know and then my aunt like you know she saw that you know I was really sort of good at it and she thought well you know why not get him like some formal training and, and there was this local painter Porrick Lynch who lived in RD he's a very good painter he's a member of the Royal Hibernian Academy and um very traditional painter, but in oils and watercolors and stuff. But she, 
she took me to an exhibition, a local exhibition that he had, and she brought me up to him and basically said, this, this boy is very talented, can you teach him how to paint? I just remember the look, he was looking, he looked <laughs> up at me and his seven-year-old, you know, and it, probably nobody had ever asked him that yeah. before, and uh, he just he just kind of said to her, uh, 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 you, can't, you can't teach somebody how to paint, like art can't be taught, you know? And then later on, you know, and he was just focused on trying to sell his paintings, I think, and he didn't want to bother with a seven-year-old. But then later on, I ended up, he ended up being my teacher um, uh, uh, in a school. I, I moved schools for one year, and he, he saw that I was, like, really interested in art at that point. I was, like, 12 or 11, 11 or 12 at that age, and he took me under his wing. He did take me under his wing after day on his own time. Um, after class every day class would finish at what 3.30 or something like that mm -hmm. and we just spend until 5 o'clock with me every day teaching me some part of like wow this is composition and this is you know like why don't you do this so we'd always be working on a little project you know and he'd be t t teaching me about color theory or something like that and that was my first kind of intro into well it's great to get it at a nice young age yeah and I remember at the time he kept saying to me, like, you got to find something else to do except art, you know, like, like he was very practical because he was a teacher, but now he's a full-time professional artist and has been for years, but you got to find something else because you're never going to make a living at this, you know, and he would say that to my mom as well, and, and, I, and I just didn't believe it, I was like, you know, um, I want to do this all the time, I just want to, I want to find a way to, like, make a living doing it, and um, I knew that I that I wasn't going to do that being a fine artist like just being a painter like him so I, I knew that I wanted to work as a commercial artist like you know in some form or other so it ended up being like I went to and did the graphic design communications course at like Don Leary and then and then the last year I was there they started this animation program so I got to do that for just about the last year you know um, and that was kind of all, then it was off to the races. Yeah, know? so that's where you were spotted by, yeah, sorry to cover all ground that you yeah. just spoke about an hour ago, but that's where you were spotted by Dave Brain. Yeah, David Brain came across from, uh, he was working for Disney Television at the time, and uh, he was sent to Europe because he, they wanted to recruit young artists to sort of work in TV animate. They couldn't get enough trained artists, trained animators at the time, mm -hmm. and, you know, trained in-betweeners, you know, for like their, their television stuff was sort of exploding. And he, he looked at a lot of art schools in Europe, I believe, but he ended up coming to Ireland because Don Leary sort of offered him like a good, he saw it as a good place to start a school, you okay. know? Mm -hmm. And so I was lucky enough just to get him for a year. And, you know, he taught the very basics of animation, which was really important, you know, like, um, and focusing on the character and all that, you know, and like, and, you know, starting to craft the performance and the very basics. And, you know, I mean, uh, the Eamon Butler, who's a fantastic yep. animator, he, he was in that class, mm. you know, he, he knew Dave very well. He was like streets ahead in terms of his, his ability to animate. It was yep. just, you know, but, but, um, we were all sort of inspired to, you know, um, to, to do it. Excellent. And so that, is that how you got spirited away for like an in, some kind of internship or something with working with Disney? Yeah, I, I, he, 
he set me up with a friend of his, Dale Bear, yeah. who had had a studio at the time. Yeah. Uh, they founded it when Roger Rabbit, uh, it was the Roger Rabbit unit, and then Dale decided he wanted to form his own studio. And mm. he was a great, and he's back at Disney Features now, but he was a fantastic animator. Yeah. And uh, just, I just, gold would just spill out of his pencil. I couldn't <laughs> believe how, how, um, like how lucid his drawing was and how fluid and how easy it seemed for him to like just I was just in awe of the guy and I I, I, I was lucky because they didn't have anywhere to put me in the building so Dale had a big office and there was a second desk in there and he said well I'll just have him with me so I got to spend you know the whole summer standing over the guy's shoulder watching him draw it was just it was brilliant and he gave me my first scenes to animate as well you know so um I worked on, you know, Rescuers Down Under, Rover Dangerfield, uh, like uh, just anything that came in through Dale Bear's studio. And then they sent me over on the Prince and the Pauper unit, which was the, they were doing um, Rescuers and Prince and the Pauper at the same time. Okay. And so I ended up at Disney Features for a little bit as well. You know, so that was a great insight into, you know, just animated the animated sort of feature film yeah, production yeah, cycle you know yeah, yeah. And, then, and then I came back and uh, so that was in between so you had another year of college left or I, 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 I yeah I had uh, I had another year left okay. one more year I think mm-hmm. and I decided I'd finish it just to, to finish up school and um, I'd applied for a visa to go back, but I, I didn't get the visa, so I ended up going to Europe and working in um, small studios in Germany, okay. which was again was another great learning experience because small studios you learn a lot because you get to do a lot of multiple jobs. Yeah. I learned to lay out, you know, animate, obviously character design. I got to do a bit of everything because they did a lot of commercials, and you have to be kind of a jack of all trades for doing commercials yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. yeah so and yeah. the schedules were very quick so there was mm. so like you get to do a lot of different kinds of stuff very quickly you know like and um that experience was interesting because it was a studio called studio octanoxic studio 88 okay. and um they were situated right next to a big giant tv station okay. um that covered all of uh sort of the south uh, the Rhine area and sort of and so they did and they also were very close to France and Luxembourg so they they did a lot of work for a lot of different TV stations so I ended up working on a lot of commercials and doing a lot of kids TV show stuff and mm-hmm. um, I was trained classically as an animator because of Dave Brains and there uh, there was a bit of a clash uh, because I was working with a lot of East European animators and they had a totally different approach. So the first scenes I got to animate, I was putting a lot of squash and stretch, a lot of like, you know, a lot of like um, really focusing on the facial animation and the character, you know, bringing the character out and that just wasn't the way they were trained, that wasn't (laughs) the way they were taught. So like, so it was sort of, you know, they thought my stuff was too squashy and stretchy, you know, like and... It was kind of a, you know, it was the first kind of like clash I had in terms of, you know, my approach to to designing and drawing characters and like their approach. You yeah. Know? And I was like 21 at the time, and I thought I knew everything, <laughs> and and uh, I knew a bit, but um, uh, and I was very confident with my drawing, but but. Um, 
I, I didn't, I, and I had some insight into story, but I didn't know anything about it, okay. really. I, I, I was approaching it all from like, can I be a good animator? Can I be yeah. a great animator? Can I focus on the performance? And I, I didn't really, but that's when I started to get interested in the story, because that's when I did my first storyboards, was working um, on some of those um, TV shows. Oh, okay. and, and, so uh, yeah. And uh, and that was like, hang on a second, I get to do this scene and this scene and this scene, yeah, this yeah, scene, yeah, I get yeah. to do ten scenes yeah. and I get to track the character through those scenes and like come yeah. up with funny stuff. Oh, I, I love this, you know, <laughs> and it's like, uh, it was, I found it a lot less restricted than actually just working on one scene, you know, yeah, so, so that's kind of the start of it. And it, plus it, it combined all of the things I liked, like it combined design and character uh, like you know the, the acting combined yeah. like um, performance and it combined like staging and blocking and yes, I was a yes, big fan of like yeah. yeah I was a big fan of like live action movies so mm -hmm. I I found it a really natural fit you know yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. so then so how did you go back to the States then after that uh, my friend Nick Ryan who's got a movie in the summit in the, the James and Dublin Film Festival oh, yeah. next weekend he sent me a a newspaper cutting um, and it said that Warner Brothers were opening a studio in Dublin oh. Warner Brothers feature animation were opening a studio in Dublin and should I apply and, I, and, and there was an address on the thing and I uh, I basically wasn't interested in working at the Dublin studio I wanted to go to the source okay. because I'd been to the States before and I yes. you know I'd worked you know, I met Ward Kimball, and I, wow. I like, I, you know, like uh, I wanted to learn from like the guys who could really teach the yeah. real stuff. You know, particularly for a story, and I knew that like they weren't going to be doing that in the Dublin studio or even in the London studio. All pre-production was going to be done at the base in California. So I basically, um, I just, I basically applied to the uh, to the studio in, in, at Warner's and. Um, and then I flew over there. I just, I just, on a whim, I just decided. I got at the same time I got my green card. It was just kind of a lucky confluence okay, of things. Okay, good. And and, uh, and I, I just went over there, got my green card, and uh, and walked into the studio and bought a one-way ticket. <laughs> I wasn't planning on Excellent. coming back. Okay. And and. Um, and I didn't know if I had, I didn't have the job at that point. Well, they were okay. really interested in, because I showed them my portfolio. Actually, I had, I'd sent them samples. I'd okay. faxed samples to them. <laughs> but but um, they wanted to see the whole thing. And then at the end of the interview, like they said, well, you know, you know, they said to me, well, um, you know, would you be interested? I'd applied, there were actually three areas. I'd applied for animation, story, and visual development. Okay. Actually, I'd left the animation out of it. Yeah. I yeah, just applied the Liz Dev and story, story, yeah, and yeah. and and like they uh, they wanted to take me on board straight away as an animator, okay, um, because I had you know a lot of animation at that point, but but and and story they weren't they weren't they didn't want to take me as a, as a feature story artist because they you know they saw they saw that I had no board I had boards but they were all TV stuff, yeah, and so like they said well would you want to you can we'll take you on board in story as an apprentice, okay, you know so. So I, I, I joined Warner as an, as an apprentice story artist, but then six months later they promoted me to like a journeyman, so okay, it didn't take long. So what was that on that you started? 
uh, what was the first project? It was uh, the project we dare not speak of, uh, the oh, quest right. for Camelot. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know a lot of people. Know that film. <laughs> yeah, it's a funny old film, wasn't it? Because yeah. the protagonist is blind in that film. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, it was a kind of a. Uh, What's the name of the character at that point? Gareth or something. Um, the main, he was blind. And then it was the girl. Yeah, I can't remember what her name was. Um, but yeah, it was like a fantasy, sort of like a, an Arthurian fantasy, yep. you know. Like and and um, I mean, in one way, it was really good because I got I. One of the things that happened on that picture was I got uh, my head of story. The story supervisor was this guy called Bruce Morris, mm. and. Um, I learned a lot from him, yeah. actually, yeah, and that was probably the the best thing I got out of it. And I also got to meet Mark Andrews. We were all starting together on that was our first feature together, and Mark directed Brave, and you know was Brad's head of story for years. And I got to meet people that I started off with, like you know, and you know, Stefan Frank, people like that, you know, and, and um, uh, Pete Croon, like uh, you know, like all these guys that you know are now sort of you know gone on to direct and. Fantastic. And you're working on features. Wow. Yeah, yeah, and it was like for me, it was like it was all good, you know. Yeah. Like, I, I think it was in making 700 bucks a week and thinking it was a fortune at the time, yeah. and like just I was 24 or whatever, 25, and it was great, you know. It was, it was, it, I was learning, I was absorbing really yeah. quickly because I had a lot of feature experience artists around me, and I was, I was making huge leaps and everything very quickly, and like in this, every month, I was, I could see the development. Yeah. You know, by the time I got actually halfway through that picture, uh, the Space Jam got started up, okay. and that was being done on a different. It was like a hybrid movie. It was being done in a different part of the city, okay. and I didn't. I wasn't really enjoying my experience working on Quest for Camelot because, um, well, for lots of reasons, but um, mostly, and and all the story department felt the same way, but. It just, it just wasn't a very good, good story, you know. And like, and I wanted to learn quickly, and I want and like this, this opportunity came up to work on the Space Jam movie, and yes. I thought, well, here's the Warner classic characters. I'd yeah. love to learn exactly. how to like, board them and yeah, like draw yeah. them, and like you know just. Yeah, yeah, like it'd be great to like be part of that, you know. Mm. So I went and and um, boarded on that movie um, until it completion, and when that was done. The quest still hadn't finished. I ended up going back, you know, to finish okay. off on the quest. And then, of course, Brad Bird came in and like um, uh, he looked at everyone's portfolio and he picked me for the Iron Giant crew. So that so, was yeah. good. So yeah, we have to talk about the Iron Giant. Yeah. Movie. I mean, yeah. How was that working with Brad? Working uh, on an... this amazing feature. So did you know at the time that this was going to be big? This was. We we kind of had a feeling like that it was special because. Yeah. Uh, Brad would give us script pages, but he was he would spend his mornings writing, and then okay. in the afternoon he would spend he'd spend the afternoon with the story artist, and he would hand out pages. So, just from reading the pages, you knew there was something special mm. coming. You know, like like the characters were in situations that you would never a single mom. You know, like yes. trying to raise a son alone. Yeah. You know, like. Like leaving him in the house, you know, and he's watching movies by himself at night while she's off at the at the diner, like working. Yeah. Like just that situation alone was like, hold on, I've never seen yeah, anything like this in yeah. an animated movie. It's yeah. like, so 
and then the giant comes in and changes his boys life. and there was nothing like it you know yeah. like it was it was just kind of you knew that it was special and we didn't know at the beginning we didn't know what the giant was going to turn into okay. um, but we knew we kind of felt the excitement that it was going to happen you know and just Brad's approach to the story he was so excited and so so uh, driven by his passion to make it that yeah. it was just it, it just ignited everybody on that crew and we were a very young crew like most of the crew were people who'd worked on the quest the animators and everybody and myself and Mark Andrews came from the story yep but um, and trust me the quest wasn't a good movie and Brad was looking at this but he knew that the potential was there for the talent like like Richie Bainham was the young animator, Brad Booker, all these guys were like, we were all getting our start together. And it was the energy of that that like, just drove us to work our asses off. We just, we just, we just wanted to make it really good. And Brad inspired us to do that, which is, it was the first lesson in learning what a good director can do, you know, in terms of like inspiring the crew and driving them to like work produce like elevate the work yeah, to another level yeah, it seems to know? be something he's just amazing yeah I and mean, he's just he's just he just he just talked about it in in a way i'd never heard of fil- like he talked yeah. about it like a real filmmaker like a real storyteller yeah. like that i'd never heard i'd never heard anyone talk like that before mm-hmm. i'd never heard anyone communicate the way they wanted to like he saw the whole thing as a complete story in his head yeah. so when you boarded he wanted he wanted the camera walk working in the boards he wanted it blocked the way that a live action camera would shoot yep. the scene you know and he had very specific ideas about about that and like usually in story you didn't concentrate on camera you concentrated on the character and I, I always thought that camera is a character as well yeah no, no, absolutely. it's a character that helps you tell your story so like the, the point of view everything what you choose to reveal to the audience mm-hmm what you what you uh, you know what you withhold from it it can all be determined by like by the, the camera as well so like Brad wanted all that integrated into the board so it was almost like doing mini layouts in a way where he still would focus on the character you know so it was that was another sort of learning massive learning experience for me like the first thing he did was a lot of the guys had come from this half the guys me and Mark Anders had come from from like the quest from feature at Warner's but then a lot of the guys came from the Simpsons he pulled the, the most talented people that he had like and um, he put them and so they'd never worked on we'd never I, I'd never drawn in 235 before which is extremely widespread so the first thing he did was he, he made us sit down and watch Lawrence of Arabia uh, for composition he was like you guys are all drawn in the middle of the screen like you've got the whole screen you've got right left and center you know use it like 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 Brad had this thing about like using all parts of the buffalo you know and, of course, like, yeah, yeah, that's and, and, and you know like he and so like we had to train ourselves to sort of and it was really exciting because I love the idea of working in widescreen you yep. know like and it just gives you more to explore yep. you have to be you have to be more careful with your composition especially when you go to close-ups but it it, it gives you it gives you a lot more scope 
you know, and you get a lot more. And it was a challenge because one of the first things we encountered was the giant is 50 feet high and yeah. the screen is like this <laughs> wide. So how do you show scale, yeah, yeah. you know, on a wide screen like that when when a lot of it, a lot of the thing is vertical? So we had to learn to cheat things and sort of, you know, use use the frame in a different way to sort of get the feeling of scale across. You know? Yeah, no, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. The show I'm working on at the moment is it's kind of a nature show. The yeah. characters are interacting with these tiny little insects yeah. and it's the same thing. Yeah, it's, like, it's a scale problem. Things? It's the relatability yeah. issue. And like, it, yeah, it was really fun to actually try and figure all that stuff out. Mm. It was the introduction of like CG at that point, you know, like uh, which Richie got into and Brad Booker, yep. and so like, yes, CG. yeah, and Steve Markowski and those guys were, they were starting to work with cameras, so we could see, we could actually see lenses and things and see how they worked on the giant, and we would get printouts of that, and it sort of you retrained yourself in terms of your cinema language. Yes. Brad wanted a really sophisticated cinema language, yes. yeah, which yeah. Mark Andrews brought a lot. Brought, brought a lot too and we sort of we all sort of you know we all sort of like le were learning as we were going along like I think Brad was learning too you know he didn't have all the answers you know like but he was just driven to, to make a really great great movie and um, like I said last night we some of the animators were working I think for free at the end because there were still there were still retakes on scenes and yeah yeah they, we just knew it was special you know Adam Burke, like one of the animators. I mean, we all pitched together at the end, and we Adam Burke went around and collected money for for us to uh, to take out a full page ad in Variety to thank Brad and Alison, the producer. <laughs> Alison Abati was the producer, and she's produced. She's gone on to produce like you know Frank and Weenie, and you know like incredible Mr. Fantastic Mr. Fox. Fantastic Mr. Fox, yeah, and like movies like that. So there was a lot of people getting their getting their sort of feet wet. Cool. So what was next after that? So I guess it was Osmosis Jones was that? Uh, Osmosis Jones and, then, and like, there's another thing, uh, Looney Tunes movie. Did that ever happen? Uh, yeah, there was. A, I, I worked on. Uh, I worked on a version, a couple of versions of the Looney Tunes movie, and this was right. Um, before September 11th, so before that, I like worked on Stuart Little, and I'd worked and developed a lot of projects. But um, I worked on a version of the Looney Tunes movie and and uh, the Looney Tunes movie, and the version I was working on was a completely different version than than the film that came out. Which so that's the back in action. Yeah, I was working on a version called Spy Jinx, and. The scene I was working on the live-action end of it because okay. um, it was a hybrid, and yeah. I was working with Jim Bissell, the live-action production designer, designed Goonies and all these great oh, movies. Wow. Oh, and um, on September 10th, I was boarding this scene where this fat security guard is running across a mall, uh, the rooftop on a Washington Mall. Nice. Um, at, he's just—he's a security guard at Natural History Museum, and he's running across the rooftops chasing trying to chase huffing and puffing after these two terrorists who were carrying a nuclear weapon in a bag and then on September 11th you know there was the attack on the on the, on the trade center in New York and the whole project we knew at that point the whole project was canned the next day basically you know I think um, that's surprising the amount of. I remember hearing a similar story about Lilo and Stitch. Yeah. It ended that way with buildings. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like they had that scene at the end where, yeah. 
and and yeah that affected people just didn't they had to find their center again yeah. the comedy was just you know, where did you you know it was just a little too close to the yeah, bone so everybody got laid off on that version okay. and uh, and then I went uh, I went to Disney I think back to okay. Disney and then later uh, again they started up they okay. started up the and that became back in action or whatever so you went to Disney to was that the Winnie the Pooh uh, yeah I worked uh, on Winnie the Pooh uh, the Heffalump movie, yeah, and that was a complete again. It was a complete change of yeah, change of pace for me that. because like those characters are. It was going from like Looney Tunes, which is really wacky, yeah. and sort of you know, um, working with the duck and the rabbit to like working with these really sweet, you know, very endearing sort of yeah. you know um, characters that yeah. you know, charming, gentle. Yeah, and I actually I really enjoyed that experience because. I got to work with this director, Frank Nissen, who is an old storyteller. He, he may have actually worked on some of the original, on some of the original Winnie, like the like the, the original Winnie the Pooh, and he just drew these characters so beautifully, so appealingly, and I, you know, it was a complete. They're so appealing to draw that, like it was, it was, and they're so that the energy in 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 the in the stories is so different to like these big action things that I was working on and you know uh, that that um, that it was kind of fun it was kind of like a rest yeah. for me it was a creative yeah. rest you know and I really enjoyed that time and then of course Rob Minkoff called me again because I just worked with him and Stuart Little to work on the Haunted Mansion movie okay and uh, and he ended up uh I ended up working on Haunted Mansion with him for like, I don't know what it was, six months. Right, okay. Um, that was a feature? That was gone? That was a live action feature with Eddie Murphy, yeah. It was okay. like, they were making Haunted Mansion and Caribbean, Pirates of the Caribbean at the same time. And, and so I ended up like sort of working in pre-production with that on Rob, just doing boards. And it was great fun as well. Completely different type of project. So I got to work on a lot of different types of movies a lot of different genres of pictures and that's I think that's really important for story people to like broaden their horizons not just work on comedy but work on like other types of movies other genres of movies and sort of learn the conventions of those genres so that you it just the more knowledge that you can amass for yourself you know the better storyteller you'll be you know you'll have more choices you'll have more weaponry in your arsenal to be able to like make better creative choices and stuff you know and, and you'll be able to if you know those conventions and know the different sort of you'll be able to um, break the rules you know and yeah. create something new out of like that so yeah, it's good you know right, it's not it's better to be unlimited that way you know, sort yeah. of. so you started working in live action now and you said Last night and this morning, that you don't kind of see any difference between no. live action and, and no. For me, there's none. For me, it's like I just see it as storytelling. Story I mean, yeah. like I mean, the only difference is in terms of the approach is uh, you have less time to tell your story in an animated feature. Okay. Yep. You know, like the average, the average uh, live action feature is two hours yep. plus. You know. Yep. Uh, and with an animated feature, it's an hour and a half. Yeah. You know, it's like yeah. eighty-five minutes. Yeah. So you know, so you have less time to tell your story. But to me, 
I don't see a difference. It just it's just like I'm dealing with this character and do I care about the character and what situation mm. are they in? And I have all the tools to be able to like block and stage and, and design the way yep. you know I need to, whether it's live action or animation. So to me I just focus on character and like how to tell the story the best way I possibly can. You yeah. Know, like, yeah. Cool. So so is that your process then? I guess just to break off from your sort of the history for me. Is it I know I've heard storyboards artists talk about you kinda of do a like a vomit pass or one to a better version, get it down, do first pass, and then go through it again and go, well maybe that shot isn't working and it's gonna be pushed on. Is that the way you work or is it all from the gut or do you plan a lot first or uh, the first thing I do is I if I have a script. Yes, of course. Uh, the first thing I'll do is I'll read the script and I'll play the movie in my head as I'm reading the script. And my method's a little bit different than other people. I'll actually do a panel count in my head. Oh, wow. Okay. As I'm going along, I'll do, okay, it's going to take, this action is going to take, you know, six shots, or this, you know, this sequence is going to take 25 shots. Or, and, I'll, and I'll actually do that in my head. And that helps me calibrate how long it's going to take me to do it. Wow. And it helps me, it's just a rough, it's just a rough sort of, panel. it's a rough panel count for myself, right? And that's fantastic. That's experience that has taught you, like, like yeah, yeah, because yeah. because you'd have like production people coming to you going, How long is this scene going to take yeah. you? How long is the pages going to take you to draw? And I'd be like, uh, At first, I was like, oh, I don't know, it's going to take me <laughs> as long as it's going to take me. Yeah, and then you know, I mean, you, you sort of have to give them something, and I'd rather be accurate than not accurate because <laughs> then you might leave yourself short. Yeah, so the first thing I would do would be like, Okay, I'm going to play this movie in my head the way I see it. Okay. And, you know, and I'm going to allow for extra little bits of business, you know, and I'm just going to like do myself a, a shot pen or a panel pen, you know, like, and I, it was something I kind of picked up from live action from looking at shot lists. Okay, yeah. Sometimes yeah. The directors don't use boards, they just have a shot list. Right, okay. You know, and that discipline, I found it was a good discipline because it, it taught you to be economical with your storytelling. Yeah. Yes, yes. You know, yeah, and yeah. generally I'm pretty close to the mark. Really? Yeah, like 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 I can look at pages and tell tell myself how long it's going to take. I don't tell many people that, especially production people, because <laughs> because you know, like I can figure out pretty accurately what you know what the panel count is, or you know, like I, I don't I don't know if other people do that. Never actually brought that up, but for me, I always find it. And then for and then I go with my gut. I'll okay. spend a lot of time absorbing the pages and thinking about thinking about like the character and thinking about the situation he's in and thinking about all the permutations of what creative business I could come up with yeah provided that it's it doesn't take away from the main thrust of the story but I'll think a lot about it and then I just I just get it down I, like I'll I'll spend almost more time thinking about it than I will you know and then I just when I when I when I sit down and actually start to draw because I've done all this preparatory thinking yes um, I just let it flow. That's where I, I just like okay, taps turned on. Yeah, great. You know, like I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna restrict myself. I'm yeah. not gonna, you know. I used to thumbnail out a little bit sometimes, yeah. and I found that like now, I just kind of I use the boards as my thumbnails. So I'll just work really rough and really loose, okay. and be af not to be afraid to make mistakes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just go for it, you Excellent. know. And and 
I te- I, it becomes more natural and it becomes more like you get more sort of organic with the stuff. Yeah, fantastic. You get it out. And then I'll, you know, I'll go back and uh, weed out the stuff that if, yeah. if, like if I'm going too far into a gag or, you know, I'm putting extraneous material into it, I'll sort of weed that out. So, fantastic. You know. So when you say thinking about it, you mean literally thinking, not thinking with pencil, not doing storyboards? No, I mean like sometimes I'll think about what's the image. Depends what the scene is, if it's a, if it's a, or what the what the moment is yeah if it's character stuff or it's just interaction between two characters I'll sort of be thinking about it thinking about what what the character is doing what's motivating the character to behave a certain way and where the change is in the scene you know where the turn comes Um, because drawing that stuff is fairly fairly easy if it's a, a fantasy scene where there's a lot of stuff to be invented then I'll actually spend some time for myself just I'll find an image that kind of defines the scene for me, a moment, and I'll sketch that out, and then it'll yeah, kind of yeah, organically yeah. grow from that, you know? Yeah. Like, maybe it's maybe it's the way the character, like, if I don't have character design, maybe it's just, it's just, it's just getting the basic basics together. Like, yeah. so, um, if I don't have any art department stuff, I'll spend some time designing the characters and designing the environments and that helps me as I'm doing that it helps me sort of process what's going on in the scene you know like if I have characters I know what the world looks like and all that if it's a realistic world it's not a fantasy world then you know like I can just I can just um I just look for the moment that kind of defines that scene and I'll actually do a beat maybe do a beat board for myself you know which is you know which sort of it can be handy because it gives you guide guideposts yes. as you yeah, go yeah, along, yeah. you know, in the, in, the, in the scene. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. So, so yeah, so we better get back to. So after Disney, it's Columbia and it's like Scooby Little Two and Spider Man Two. Uh, yeah. Then I went back to, I went back to Columbia Pictures, uh, and I interviewed with this director, Pete Siegel, um, to work on anger. He needed help with anger management, I think, at the time, and he was doing a new picture. Called Fifty First Kisses. Oh yeah, and uh, and so I interviewed with him, and uh, and he offered me the job straight away. Actually, it was at a breakfast meeting, and it was funny in live action. You you tend to meet the director one on one straight away, and yep. it tends to be like a lunch or a breakfast or something like that. And he wanted to, he, like I was like, well, he said, like you know, I want to take you with me to Hawaii to this picture, and I was like. Can I direct second unit on it? Because I really wanted to, like, you know, like, move into the practical aspects of, like, right, okay. making making films and learning that, you know. And, and he was like, Yeah, sure. If you come with me to Hawaii, you're gonna you're gonna learn. I'll, I'll you know, I'll give you, you know, I'll I'll set you up with one of the the unit directors, and you'll start, you know, you know, you st- you'll start shooting stuff. And I was like, Brilliant! I'm gonna do it. So, I I was walking back from that meeting on the lot. Right. And I knew they were doing Spider-Man at the time. Okay. And uh, I went to visit, like I called my friend Jack Shu, who was working on the picture, and Jeff Lynch, who was, who was the head of story on, on Iron Giant, was also working on the okay. picture, right? And he was, so I went to visit those guys for lunch, and I had my portfolio, and I dropped it off in the office. Okay. And we went to lunch, and on the way back, Sam Raimi, who he... He was very protective of the story room and didn't let like the art the art room where he was where his office was and like right. his story artists were. Right. That was like uh, 
that was like you know um, it was like Quantico or something you, you, like it was it was like the it was like the secret headquarters yeah. where you didn't get to see inside you know right. and I saw like some of the stuff they were doing on these they were they were still drawing boards on paper and pinning them up on boards just like we did in animation I was like this is fantastic these are these, some of these sequences are going to be incredible yeah. and I was walking out and I was like Jack you're a lucky bastard but you know I may be going to Hawaii so you know <laughs> so I was walking out of the office and Sam Raimi stopped me and he was giving me he was giving me the eye he was like what are you doing you're not you're, you're a foreign you're a foreign body in these parts what are you, what are you doing here and he, and he looked at my portfolio and he looked at me and he's like are you a storyboard artist and I was like yeah and he was like can I take a look at your stuff right now I was like, sure, and, and he invited me into his office and uh, offered me a cigarette, and like we sat there, and like uh, I showed him my book. I opened the first page of the book, and it was like some stuff I'd done on The Giant. He was like, oh, man, I love that movie. I will always put my Iron Giant stuff first because like, it was kind of a passport. You yeah, know, because absolutely. A lot of filmmakers, it was like they knew and they loved the movie, you know, and even though nobody saw it, like they knew and they loved the picture. So, you know, like... Uh, it was the same with Pete Siegel, you know, and, and um, but Sam, for some reason, he loves artists and he loves, I think he said to me one time, he said, if I couldn't have been a, I asked him, I said, if you couldn't have been a director, what would you have been? And he said, it's a comic book artist. Yeah, kind of Like he, he would love, he just loved to draw and he really appreciated artists and that was one of the things that made it really, you know, like, and so he looked at my book and he just closed it and he went, I want you to start on this picture. And I was like, do you want to do it? And I was like, uh, then I had to explain to him the situation. I just made a deal. I'd almost signed a deal memo with these guys for 51st Kisses, like Pete Siegel. And he just, he just, uh, he just turned to his producer and he said, make the call. Because at that point, like Sam was the most powerful director on the lot. You know? and, and, and he said, do you want to work on this picture with me? And I was like, yes. <laughs> Like there's no, there's no, like there's no, like I just, I loved his approach. I loved the way he was so affable. I loved the fact that he loved artists and, you know, he was just willing to like, and he was like, because we're doing something really great here. And I, and I was like, you don't have to sell me on it. I'll start. And he's like, can you start tomorrow? Like, and I was like, yeah. That's amazing. And that was, the, that was it. You know, that was kind of the start of it, you know, and, and um, I worked on that picture and then when that, when pre-production on that ended uh, I, I Sony had we're just starting up their animation division at that point and I moved into Sony you know but that that experience of working on on uh, Spider-Man was like one of the best experiences I ever had because Sam took people under his wing and he trained them like he would take he he took me to casting sessions he took me I went on like location scouts for him. He took his board guys everywhere. Um, I blocked out scenes with video camera from like uh, uh, where 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 me and Bill Pope, the director of photography, like would stand in for the the main actors and and Sam would block out the scene with a little video camera and say, "This is the way I'm going to shoot it." We'd be on the location, the actual location. He would shoot at the theater, or the church, or wherever it was. And he would sh- he would block out the scenes, and I just. I learned so much from the guy. Like it was just, uh, it was like film school, but compressed, in, like a crash course in film school yeah, all over yeah, again. Yeah. And he was so generous. Like he's like Brad that way. You could just ask him, "What does this lens do?" 
Like, <laughs> what does this one do? Like, yeah, why would you yeah, shoot yeah. this? Why would you frame it this way? He would just tell you. Fantastic. It was amazing. Yeah, that's amazing. It was brilliant. And then did he stick to your boards and stuff when he was shooting? Is he exactly. a big board guy? Yeah, he likes to have he, loved, he loves, he likes to thoroughly storyboard and previous things. Okay. And he uses that process like an animation director does. He yes. uses it to yeah. explore. He doesn't stick to the script. Um, except when he, he really it's a simple scene or dialogue yeah, okay. scene but like when it's when it's an action scene or it's comedic beat or something like he uh, he totally uses it to explore and like generate ideas and you'll do different versions of things and I mean the train sequence we did so many different versions of it and I had a whole extra sequence I was going to show last night I just ran out of time where there was a whole fight on that clock tower that extended out to another building and Spidey pulls down this water tower with 50,000 gallons of water on top of Doc Ock and it washes over the side of the bill. It was just a whole big... Yeah, it's amazing. It's like, because I was up some talk with John Lester and it's the first time that I clicked with me is that actually he was saying, in animation, you don't shoot coverage, but actually, you storyboard yeah. coverage. That's what yeah, you yeah. do. That's where your coverage is. You yeah. storyboard all the possible yes. kind of ideas. Just working with Sam and learning, yeah. like, like, I learned a lot about physical production during that. Like, yeah. Um, because he was... He was. He would take it like you would ask stuff, like why are you doing the shot this way, or why are you staging blocking it this way, or and he would he would teach you. He'd actually yeah. tell you. It was like and it was like it was brilliant because it was like the magician teaching you his trick. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, so it was it was a uh, it was a brilliant learning experience. Yeah. You know, great, great. Um, he's a he's a great comedy director. Like mm. like he that's he one tell. of his loves. Yeah. And uh, uh, he made these movies when, with with um, Bruce Campbell when he was and yeah, Rob Tapers when he was like seventeen or eighteen or they were still in college, and they're just all like send ups of the Three Stooges. And the timing in these things is like fantastic. <laughs> they like have fantastic comedy time. Yeah. Even Sam, like he had fantastic comedy time. Yeah. So he loves he loves that, you know. But just the whole mechanics. He's got such passion for like for like how film is put together and telling stories that like you just you, it's just infectious you know you just get totally you just get totally swept up in it you know and he loves feeding off that energy you know like it's, it's really great when you work on a picture for him you work hard <laughs> I can I mean, imagine we, we, that, we yeah. would uh, we would we would be working till one or two in the morning and then be up in shooting at like six or seven yeah. you know I would like sometimes drive with him from his house to the set in his car <laughs> and we he, I'd be take and he, I'd be taking his notes because he, the minute he hit the floor you know to, uh, you know you wouldn't see him for hours and so he would give you all this his um, storyboard oh, notes yeah, in the yeah, morning yeah. So you, could often do them. Yeah, you know and sense, then yeah, like yeah. and you know nobody got onto that set but his board artists were like they always got onto the set like he made sure that like when during shooting you know like especially on those pictures like mm. like it was very guarded there was a lot of security yeah. because the paparazzi were always outside yeah. and they were always looking to get oh what, what, what are they shooting you know it's the same on all these big pictures yeah and, but we always like got total access I could walk up to him in the middle of um you know right after like you know they cut on something I, I could walk right up to the center right 
to Video Village and 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 just say, Sam, hey, what do you think about this? Blah blah blah. Oh, I'm working on this scene. He was he would always like he'd always make time for you. you know, that's fantastic because I'm sure a lot of live action directors it's not like that. No, it? like um, when when they're in the middle of a scene, you know, they're just focused on yeah, that. You yeah, know, yeah. like but Sam was always thinking ahead and sort of mm. you know, and also he would use you on the set right there and then. Like if he wanted to, like he would he would re block stuff or okay. re 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 um, re like he would re restage something oh, yeah, right there and then you'd be yeah. like can you sketch this out and I'd be like yeah yeah okay oh, what's okay. the move or what are we doing here and he would block it out like storyboarding know. yeah <laughs> yeah it was great it was brilliant it was a brilliant way to learn you know so that's what I would say to a lot of people is like you know it's not don't just get you can get really narrow minded when you're just in the world of of um animated stories and like yeah. you should like draw from influences outside of that like yeah. to affect the way you tell stories like yeah. Yeah. like go watch like a lot of movies mm -hmm. you know like performing content like go to live theater go see stand-up you yeah. know like 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 learn all the different there's so much to learn you know as a storyteller that you you're sort of you're sort of absorbing a lot of influences and then trying to it always shapes your work you always get yeah. better you know yeah. so Fantastic. Yeah. Great stuff. So, yeah, so let's talk a little bit about Sony Animation then, which is uh, where you have been and where you still are. Sony Animation. <laughs> uh, so the first I've been there, yeah. First, the first film was like um, Open Season. Yeah. Um, Jill Colton was the director. Uh, David Feast was the story soup mm. on it. And I'm still working with Dave now. He's brilliant, like, yeah. and Chicken guy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was like they were starting a new animated division, and mm -hmm. it was like they Jill had come from Pixar, and um, uh, they wanted to make, you know, they wanted to make like full CG, like like ImageWorks had just done visual effects up yep. to that point, and they really wanted to blow it out and make their own own movies. So they started to make Open Season, Surfs Up, um, and then Tidy with a Chance of Meatballs, yeah. and and a lot of pictures that. Like Hotel Transylvania, which, by the way, it started that early on. It was literally oh, really? in development that whole time. Wow! Along all those pictures were getting made. Mm. You know, I went through like a, you know, half a dozen directors before. Really? They, yeah, it was. It was. That took a long time to develop. But yeah, it was. It was kind of new at the beginning. It was new and exciting, and mm -hmm. Sony wanted an animation wing for their live-action counterpart because you know. Everybody was making money making these movies. Fantastic. Because you know? I really like... Uh, Cloudy is, is a fantastic film. Right? Oh, it's amazing. Yeah, and like it's kind of different as well. Yeah, it's again, it's different another Different in one. its humor that's, yeah. that's kind of like... It's kind of like a little bit special that way. Mm. And that was all Phil and Chris, like the directors on yep. that. Um, they were the writers and they hadn't done they hadn't done animation. Well, they'd done a little bit of animation, TV, TV animation before. They had their own show. But they were sort of like they wanted to. They had their own sort of take on the characters and the world, and it was unique. They had a unique point yeah, of view. Yeah, definitely. It took us a little bit, of, a little while to get on board with like the sense of humor of the characters. Okay. But once we did, then everybody kind of. It was so easy to rally behind those guys yeah. because they were just. They just knew the kind of film they wanted to make. They yeah. they were driven by a vision of it, you know, yeah. and. And um, the studio didn't buy into it at first, and okay. it was a struggle the whole time. Yeah. But the crew, it was kind of like working with Brad. Like the yeah. crew got right up up behind, behind the directors and yeah. sort of kept pushing. 
they wanted to see them we wanted to see them make the movie you know mm. like they did in the end yeah which is fantastic uh, but it was really hard for them it was a struggle because the studio didn't see the kind of picture that they were trying to make right you know and, and uh, there was a lot of talent a lot of talent on that picture and story as well yeah um, well I think it comes across I think it's a great, yeah. great picture yeah. Um, yeah there's it's a couple really of things fun. that I just want to ask you with one is working with John Favreau, and the other thing is a thing called Big Alien Musical. Oh, right, right. <laughs> wow. Which are three words I didn't necessarily expect to How did you find out about together. that? <laughs> <laughs> How did I find out? Oh, the interwebs, I saw. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I've developed a, maybe five or six projects that, you know, have remained in the nursery of development, and yeah. some have died, some have, some were in intensive care, <laughs> some have lived, you know, like... Uh, How was it working with John Favreau? Uh... Brilliant. Uh, I didn't, I didn't see him a lot. Okay. Uh, of course. Uh, but when I did see him, it was really. Uh, he he was he he again. He had that sort of singular idea of what yep. he wanted to do. Yeah. And originally, at the beginning of the Neanderthal project, John was going to direct it. And he was going to almost. It was going to be him and his buddies. It was going to be. You know, and they were almost going to do it mocap. They were going to use okay. mocap as B-roll almost, and just right. shoot stuff with the actors, yeah. and then like use that as the basis for you know the movie. Of course, it was all going to be boarded out, like, yeah. and, and we were going to add a lot of business to it. But yeah. he wanted that his process. He'd never worked in animation, so he wanted to like shoot B-roll, okay. like, or, or mocap was the closest thing he could get to like his sort of experience of shooting stuff. Mm -hmm. So he was going to use Jack Black, Vince Vaughn, um, himself. He was going to use his buds, basically. Yep. They were going to do this comedy, kind of a raunchy Neanderthal, right. you know, like more of a more of a sort of a uh, more of a raunchy sort of comedy, you know, yes. like and yeah. more 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 sort of adult material, yeah, in it, yeah, you know. So and the, so the trouble, them. yeah, like yeah, the trouble was the studio were never going to make that kind of picture, and I knew it, like, <laughs> and and sort of. What happened was at the beginning he sort of left me to sort of go away and pick a couple of sequences that we could sell the studio on the, on a take. Okay. So he became at the beginning he was very involved and then he became more and more involved with Iron Man. Okay. Yeah. And okay. and he just got so busy he was up at Skywalker Ranch and I was at one point I was going to be flying up and down to sort of show him stuff, you know. And in the end I just kind of it fell into my lap and okay. we ended up doing this test animation test like a little a little short between two of the main characters one which was a new character that we kind of introduced in the boarding process yeah. like this this wolf pup and um and uh we boarded these two big sequences and and showed him this test and he really liked it it was a lot younger than he thought it was right, going to be okay, and yeah. like amy pascal was kind of i think she was happier with the younger take okay yeah, yeah. you know and uh in the end, it was just the kind of picture he didn't. He didn't. I don't think he lost interest. In it. Yeah, he kind of didn't want to make it that kind of picture. Yeah, you know, like he wanted to. He wanted to sort of do it as a more. You know, and plus his Iron Man was really taken off at that point. You okay, know, yeah. I think he was already on. They've already been working on Iron Man too. Okay. And and uh, it was just it was just really you know his career was sort of really. And I'd actually met him because I did a voice of a character I actually wrote a character okay. on Open Season, season yeah, O'Toole, yeah and uh, O'Toole and Riley like the main they named the character after me <laughs> it was his character Riley was his character yeah 
and I'd done a bunch, written a bunch of stuff for that, and really created the character with right, okay. with Jack Shu. Uh, like that wasn't originally sort of in the in the script. Mm. It came out of a sequence that we boarded, and okay. and um, you know, I sort of took the approach of creating like this character who was like he was like a Boston construction worker yeah. he was from the east coast and like he had a construction worker mentality yes because there know. is a beaver isn't he pardon he's a beaver isn't he's he? a beaver yeah, yeah and he's like in charge of building this dam yeah. so you know and uh, like I did all the scratch dialogue for it you know yeah. and, and the other beavers like O'Toole as well yeah. and in the end um, you know the studio wanted to go with like obviously a big an, a, name, yeah. a big name actor but they gave me the Jill gave me the like little sidekick and I recorded a lot more stuff that was in the movie, but she yeah. gave me the little, his little sidekick as a sort of <laughs> consolation prize. But it was really fun because I got to actually record with him. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, right. and see, like, so I'd met him before. Okay, and so, yeah, you yeah. know, it was it was interesting. Nice that Ooh. way. Right. Yeah. Uh, big Alien music. Just the name. Big Alien Musical. What, was that? what, what the heck was that? I just wanted you work on some wacky projects <laughs> in development and. Uh, uh, that one was um, let me see it came in as an outside project okay. from uh, uh, producer Sean Bailey okay. um, who he he's now like had a production I think at Disney but um, you know he and he was producer on Tron but he brought this project in called Big Alien Musical <laughs> Or I think it was called Big Nasty okay. at the beginning, and like basically it was. Uh, but they had to change that title, obviously. But uh, they didn't call it Big Nasty. But like Big, I mean, it was basically a, um, a hip hop musical set in space. Uh, okay. And it was like this. Uh, base, the basic premise was this um, Mars explorer. Uh, this engineer who's been designing this new Mars Explorer, right? This new Explorer um, basically drops his iPod into the thing and loses it, right? While he's working on the thing, and it gets sent off into space, and it's loaded with like all these all this music on it, and it ends up getting sucked into a black hole and thrown to the other side of the universe, and it lands on this planet where they have no music, or they don't know what music is, and like this alien finds it and you know brings basically musical culture to the planet and uses music to defeat the bad guy and it was like a concept a really bizarre concept yeah. for, a, for a film but like it could have been really fun if you'd like my suggestion was get you know the guys from gorillas to do it you know, just get them to do the whole do it as a concept picture and just yeah. do that you know um but and i think they may have even talked to those guys but in the end they hired this music video director um Dave, uh, he was he was a music video director, to, okay. and and he he took a shot at it, and like he wasn't really used to working in a narrative form okay. like that. You know, he was more he was more, and like you know, it was one of those pictures that was kind of a. It sounded good on paper, but like yeah, in practice, it was really hard to pull off because because first of all, getting the rights to the music was a problem. They brought Timberland as a producer onto okay. it, and. Uh, in, for him to even write a song was a million bucks. I mean, it was just, it was just, it was going to be, it was kind of a high concept. It was kind of, you know, yeah. 
yeah. it was hard to execute. You yeah, know? I can imagine. Absolutely. And you come across a lot of projects like that in development, you know, that yeah. are sort of, you know... Yeah. So yeah, we should lost. just, yeah, maybe talk about Hotel Transylvania a little bit. So yeah. You, so you did work with, with Gendy and No, I didn't work with Gendy. Okay. I worked with... Um, Jill, okay. Jill Colton, who directed Open Season, she oh, was yeah, one okay. of the directors on. There were like six directors on that project, wow. <laughs> and you know, but I've been but, in in development for a long time. Yeah, yeah, and and like ten years, and oh. and eight years at least, and and um, uh, the very first artist who worked on it, I remember, was Bob Logan, who's a great story artist who works at DreamWorks now. He's a head of story, story soup. And, and he was the very first person I ever remember seeing drawings from. And uh, Todd Wilderman as well. Okay. And Sean Mullen. Those guys were working on a Hotel Transylvania concept real early on, like in 2002. Mm. You know, two, no, not 2002, 2004, like, like that. You know, it was, it was in development for that long at that, at that point. And, and um, I worked with Jill, who was, I think, director number three. Okay. Uh, and then I worked with Todd, who was director number five. <laughs> right. So, you know, um, or director number four, I think. Okay. And those two guys. And then, and then um, by that point, the story, Jill had sort of shaped it. So it was basically, it was a mother... Uh, it was a it was a father daughter picture, but she had more of a romantic element in it. You know, okay. like with with uh, I think the character was called uh, was it Jonathan at that point? Um, the human. Character. Yeah, the, yeah, he's, yeah. Is that he's called Jonathan? He's, really? he's called Jonathan. Now. He was called Gerald at okay, that point. Right. That's that's yeah. who it was, and he wasn't. Uh, was he a backpacker at that point? I can't remember. No, I don't think he was. Okay. But it, that the, sort of the genesis of that was there, but it was more of a romantic thing, and it was less about Dracula and more about Mavis. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it was more about the daughter. And then when Gendy came aboard, they or when Todd actually came aboard, they swung it more towards like Dracula's side of the story, and they yep. made it more about Dracula and Mavis. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean. I was already developing stuff to direct when I'd left okay. Hotel T and like um, Sam would, wanted me to work on the familiars at that yes, point yeah, with Doug. So, so, so Gandhi had come on like after that even, you know, I never got to work. So can you talk about the familiars? Do you want to talk about the familiars? Uh, I can talk a little bit about it. Um, I can't say too much about okay. it because it's, it's kind of a sensitive project. And, okay. Um, but it's you and Doug Sweetland who directed... Um, Presto, Presto, right? Doug directed Presto and is one of their best. I mean, animators. Yeah. He was one of the first guys for years, and uh, we're, we're no longer making the picture. At least Doug has moved on. Okay. Um, it's still at Sony, but it's sort of in a turnaround okay. um, phase. But yeah, I mean, it's a fantastic property. It was a fantastic, and we had a blast the two years that we spent on it together. You fantastic. Know? We had a great crew. We had great fun, and it's just one of those things where, like, it was almost it. It was almost the perfect um, alignment of, you know, idea and yep. artist, and yep. you know, it was a really. I mean, we were really passionate about it, you yep. know. Um, 
but unfortunately we just we just didn't get to continue and that happens a lot in development yeah sounds like um, where you develop a lot of projects and they don't some of them live and some of them die and some of them die for the strangest of reasons you know some of them you don't really know why they why they get why they get shelved you yeah. know like yeah, they yeah. I mean with Big Alien Musical it was kind of obvious it was a <laughs> flawed concept yeah, but then yeah. you know I think uh it's just a it's kind of a throw of the dice sometimes yeah. you know in terms of they develop a lot of material and and you know at any given in any studio they might have 20 30 40 yeah. projects in different phases of development and some of them you know survive and you know just, you know they they you know they just don't make it you know they morph into other things yeah. you know like i worked on a project called the changeling you know, it was an Irish themed story, and that, again, like that didn't that didn't make it. You know, uh, it didn't make it. Like, you know, it didn't make it through the development process. Mm-hmm. It could have, but you know, but it it didn't in the end. Yep. You know, Kevin Lima was producing that, and Brian Pimento was directing it, and uh, I mean, sometimes projects die because old executives leave and new ones yeah. come in, and yeah. they just you know. Projects get lost right. in the mix. Yeah. Okay, so I think just yeah. to end up, uh, this is supposed to be an Irish animation podcast. So, how have you seen sort of a growth or a difference, or is Irish animation slightly more on the map in LA where you are, or you haven't noticed as much? Or it's definitely on the map. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, uh, the sector is kind of exploding. Here. Yes. Tell me so, about it. <laughs> so it's like you know, um, uh, like you've got. You've got so many like companies. I mean, the main one seems to be, the main two seem to be Jam and Brown Bag. Bag yeah, yeah, yeah. Brown Bag really seems well. to be the largest. Yeah, yeah. And that's Carl and Doc, and like yeah. they're doing an amazing job, sort of um, bringing work in, but also yeah. trying to develop. They're trying to develop their own indigenous stuff as yeah. well, which is that's the next step for them. I think Absolutely. is sort of is sort of uh, is doing their own sort of feature material. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's really hard. It's it's. It's really hard to birth a project. Yeah. The process is really long because there's so many factors like yeah. finance yeah, and all the rest yeah. of it. So you know, it's it's a tough sort of process. But I think they will. You know, I'm mean, Tom Moore did it, yep. right? So yeah, yeah, Secret Hells, yeah. Yeah. So like you know, it's it's a it's a miracle some of these things get made. It's, it's a miracle any movie gets made actually when you see the, those, <laughs> when you see the process they go through to like yeah. birth. Yeah. But. Um, well, yeah, it's like you're saying. The logical extension now is to yeah, come up with your own IP and ideas. Because if you, which you made a good point, which I didn't, yeah, and hadn't thought of it before, is that uh, if people complaining about jobs going to overseas, 20, 30 years ago, that's exactly what happened in Ireland with Bluth. It was right. Ireland was the overseas, right. and I think some other studios are still the overseas studios right. here. Right. Exactly. So the way the natural progression then once that starts to go somewhere else is that you try and start to come up with it yeah and like 10 years from now or it's already started in India they'll have their own they have their own indigenous studios producing content yes you know it's like the question is can they get to a bigger market can they get to the global market with their stuff or will they just remain and you know I think Irish companies have a good they have a good they have an advantage on that because they can they can get past the indigenous set to a global market, yes, yeah, you know, and I get think, to be yeah. and get to tell stories that are that are appeal to a global audience rather yeah. than appear as an indigenous yes. product. Yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah. so it's it's a uh, 
I mean, the, yes, it's it's an exciting time it's now. Like place. I, I can't wait to see you know like like what kind of pictures can break through. Mm. You know, and yeah. it's a, the trouble is like the distribution is like you got to get the distribution deal, you know, yeah. or you, or it won't get seen, and that's. Yeah. Especially on the theatrical level, yeah, you know, that's yeah, kind of that's that, that's tough, you know. So it's like, it's really important. There's a studio in Texas, Real Effects, and you know they're doing their own projects right now, and and um, they just got their distribution deal with Fox to distribute their Day of the Dead project, uh, which my friend Brad Booker is one of the producers on it, and uh, yes, he is, and and. Uh, and Horry is directing it, and and um, and and to get that distribution was really important yeah. for them. You yeah, know, yeah, like um, at the beginning they didn't have that. It was kind of like it was, a, how are we going to get the picture out there? How are yep. people going to see it? You know. So yeah, that's 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 kind of like the big the big issue. Big challenge. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, to get back to your point about Irish animation, it's like we have we kind of have an advantage. Mm-hmm. Um, we're natural storytellers. We're natural yep. joke tellers. Yep. You know, and we have a we have a, a spin on life, like a sort yeah. of a point of view yeah, on it that like is exactly. unique. You know, and and you if you can if you can get that into your storytelling, all the better. You know, it's yep. like it's something about because there's such a huge Irish diaspora around the world, yeah, yeah, and yeah. because we've been. Uh, traveling for centuries <laughs> yes yeah you know that th- we can absorb a lot of other things and sort of bring them back bring in them and sort of you know together, yeah. yeah like it's 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 really good that way you know? it's, and there's a lot of irish talent in hollywood that's you know like i mean i mean i mentioned sharon and nora last night you know like uh, richie obviously you yeah. know but it's we have an advantage that way yep. so it's it's brilliant to be able to sort of bring that into it you know yeah and, be brilliant to you know to see features here get made it'll be amazing yeah and get distributed on a on a global basis yes you know yeah yeah. no because i don't see why they can't Mm. you know Mm -hmm. i mean why not you know if you've got a good story to tell i think it it can go it can can go anywhere the question of can can you get the money to make it yeah Yeah. (laughs) that's my question yeah apart from that why not great stuff well let's leave it there brilliant Thank you very yeah, much. Yeah, thanks a million. Pleasure. Yeah, it was great to, great to talk to you. Cool, thank you. So, uh, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Um, and just to say that Hotel Transylvania has just come out on DVD. Glady with a Chance of Meatballs is out on DVD. And is brilliant. Uh, the Iron Giant, if you haven't seen The Iron Giant. Go and watch it yeah, immediately. You need to buy just that and watch run that. to the store. Watch it again. Yeah. So, if you enjoyed the podcast, we would like you to retweet if you possibly could, um, share links on Facebook, tell your friends, flag down cars, you know, attack buses, whatever you have to do. Anything, we, we just want you to grow the podcast so as many people can enjoy it as possible. And if you want to retweet us, uh, I am at the Meg Bar on Twitter. And I'm uh, at Aidan McAteer. If you want to get in contact by email, it's flippedpodcast at gmail.com. And we hope to uh, see you again very soon next month for the next exciting Flip the podcast. Bye. Bye. The Flipped Animation Podcast was produced by Megan McMahon and Aidan McAteer, edited by Aidan McAteer, and featured music from royaltyfreemusiclibrary.com. 
For more information, uh, visit our website at flippedpodcast.com.